We continue today in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and in particular in the Lord's Prayer. Coming to the third petition today, and we read in your bulletin, you'll see from a number of different passages, Matthew 6, Deuteronomy 29, Luke 22, and James 4. So I will read those through consecutively. The theme is the will of God. Hear now the word of God. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And now, loved ones, we confess our faith using the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. Turn to page two in your bulletin as we look at how the Catechism helps summarize this third petition of the Lord's Prayer. The bottom of page two. What is the third petition? We respond together. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men renounce our own will and without disputing obey your will which alone is good, so that everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Amen. You'll see an outline for the sermon on page 4 if you'd like to follow along. There is much more there than we will go into, but I'm giving a structure of the theology and the practice of this petition. 
R.C. Sproul shares a story in a book he wrote, a very helpful mini-book, Can I Know God's Will? If you want a helpful book for this topic, I would encourage you to look at it. He shares a story of Alice in Wonderland kids. Alice is lost. She comes to a fork in the road. Icy panic stung her as she stood frozen by indecision. She lifted her eyes up, looking for guidance. And who was there? The cat. The cat is leering over his perch in a tree above. Which way should I go? Alice blurted. That depends, said the cat, with a sarcastic smile on his face to the confused girl. Depends on what, Alice said. Well, it depends on your destination. Where are you going, said the cat. I don't know, Alice stammered. Then, said the cat, his grin spreading ever wider, it doesn't matter which way you go. Loved ones, the destination matters to the Christian. We're a pilgrim people. We seek a better country, an eternal city whose builder and maker is God. And someday the Lord will take us to that kingdom. The ultimate destination is clear. A glorious future awaits for every one of God's people. But what about tomorrow? What is the stock market going to do tomorrow? What will happen in the elections this fall? Will I get married? Will I have kids? What kind of world will my kids grow up in? What about my grandkids? Will my kids get married? Will they walk with the Lord? Is the doctor's report that's coming going to reveal cancer? We walk by faith, not by sight. And this leads us to consider today the question that R.C. Sproul has been asked of him before he died more than any question his whole life. Do you know what that is? People came up to him again and again and said, what is God's will for my life? We're looking at that through the lens of the Lord's Prayer, the third petition, from God's name to God's kingdom to God's will. We are praying, not my will be done, not Lord, do my bidding. That's a pagan prayer. But your will be done. First, what's the theology of God's will? Do you wonder why Jesus tells us to pray, your will be done? Have you thought of that? Doesn't Jesus know that God's will is always done? What's going on here? We have to understand theologically the way the Bible speaks of the will of God. Martin Luther, the reformer in the 1500s, said, there's a distinction made between God hidden and God revealed. If we are to know the Lord, the Lord must reveal himself to us. But in revealing himself, the Lord doesn't reveal everything there is to know about him. We read that today in Deuteronomy 29, 29. John Calvin's favorite verse, by the way. In that passage, it speaks of the secret things that belong to the Lord our God. These are the things concerning the plans and the purposes of God that he has not made known. 
that he will not make known to us. It's secret, meaning we don't have access to it. We can't peer behind the curtain and find it out. It is his absolute will. It is his eternal counsel and decree. And this will of God is always done on earth as it is in heaven. Ephesians 1.11 The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything that happens is woven into the purpose of God. God does all he pleases. His will is free and sovereign and independent. It's the final ground of all things. Nothing in your life then happens outside of this sovereign will of God. But things are hard. We don't know why things happen the way they do. We want to know what's around the next corner. What awaits? What of tomorrow? But God says, I have not revealed that to you. Instead, we are to live by what is called the revealed will of God. This is referred to as his preceptive will, his precepts, his laws, his commands. The revealed will of God is not found in a horoscope or with a magic eight ball or with a feeling in our bosom. It is found in his word. That's where God's revealed will is for us, loved ones. And we realize in his word that as we obey his commandments, we please him. The will of God for our lives in our order of worship on Sundays comes after we hear the gospel. So this is God, by his spirit, equipping you to live a life that is honoring to him. Here's what Colin Smith says about this. Sometimes people are trying to discern God's will for their lives, which is good to do, but then they think, well, maybe I've missed the will of God because I made a bad decision. He says, God is not going to hold you accountable on the last day for information that he has not revealed to you. So if you say, well, I went to live in Minnesota, but I think I made a mistake and I really should be living in Georgia. God's not going to say to you on the last day, you should be in Georgia. What is he going to say? The point is how you live in Minnesota or Georgia or wherever God has placed you in his providence. The secret will of God, the revealed will of God, God's will of disposition. I mention that because R.C. Sproul brings that up. This is referring to God's attitude. What is pleasing to the Lord? God's ultimate delight is his holiness and righteousness. That's his will of disposition. As we turn to the Bible, we find God's will all over the place. God has a will and a purpose in predestination. He has a purpose in regeneration. Of his will, he brought you forth from death to life. His will in John 6 is that everyone that looks upon the Son by faith will be saved. As they believe in Christ, you have eternal life. And that he will lose none of those that the Father has given to the Son. That's encouraging. The sovereign will of God in salvation. 
God is not the author of sin. So when you read a passage like Genesis 50, when Joseph is talking with his brothers and he says, you, my brothers, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, here we see that although Joseph's brothers did horrible things to their brother, they violated the revealed will of God. They sold him into slavery. They hated him. Yet in their sin, God's secret counsel was brought to pass. And God brought redemption through it. Ultimately, by preserving his promises, uh, the, the people of, of Israel and his promises made to Abraham to send a savior through the line of Judah, one of those brothers that God preserved through all of that. It was God's decretive will and counsel that Jesus was condemned to die on a cross. Acts 2 says Jesus was delivered up according to the will of God. Involved in that is much sin. Pilate and Herod and those who were putting him to death, our own sin was laid on Christ on that cross. In the revealed will of God, Pilate sent the sinless Son of God to die. That is against God's revealed will in the Scriptures. Do not murder. But in the sovereign, decretive will of God, that's the way God chose to save his people through the redemption Jesus accomplished. These things are beyond our mind to grasp. But we see in the life of Christ that he came to do the will of his Father. Do you know that there's only one person in the Bible, David Strain says, who prayed these exact words, not my will but yours be done. It's Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night in which he was betrayed. He's praying as his disciples are falling asleep, much like we fall asleep and kind of struggle and stammer. And he's sweating great drops of blood as he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will, your will, be done. As a human, Jesus, truly human, truly God, he didn't want to suffer. What human would? But he knew this was the plan from before the foundation of the world for him to save his people. So he's sweating drops of blood. He's anticipating what is to come. The father hears his prayer. He sends angels to strengthen him. And the answer to the prayer is that I am not willing to remove this cup from you, my son. Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to strike him. The cup he would drink the cup. What is that cup, loved ones? The psalm refers to the cup sometimes as what God has determined to give you in his sovereign plan and purpose. That's the cup that overflows, Psalm 23. But this is a different cup. This is a cup, Isaiah 51 says, that is speaking of the wrath and judgment of God. The Bible is a story of two Adams in two gardens. A story of saving substitution. And the focus of the Bible really 
comes to its center here at the cross. Because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, taking of a tree that God said you shall not eat from, there needs to be a perfectly obedient last Adam, another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, another tree, the cross. The wages of sin is death. Jesus knew that. He dies in our place, bearing God's judgment for us to free us from that. He goes into the darkness that we might be brought into the light. He takes our guilt that we might receive his righteousness. He takes our curse that we by faith might receive his blessing. The will of God in the gospel, loved ones, is good news for you. All of my idolatry and sinful anger and lust and fear of man and lying and pride, that's all laid on Christ. The beautiful, sinless Son of God who never could experience sin in the presence of God became sin for us. He takes that sin and he gives you his righteousness because not only is Jesus the only one who prays this prayer in the Bible perfectly. He's the only one who does it. No one else has done the will of God perfectly. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So your hope today is that Christ's righteousness is yours by faith. He obeyed the will of God. You receive it by faith and now by the Holy Spirit living in you as the adopted child of God by grace through faith in Christ who loved you, who gave himself for you, now, Christian, you can delight to pray this prayer. Secondly, what does it mean to pray for God's will? Jesus knows as he says these words, the will of God in his revealed will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth, this is where we live, kids, right? We're here. We're pilgrims. Heaven, the invisible, supernatural realm where God dwells in glory with trillions of angels who do his will perfectly. This prayer is, may your people on earth do your will as the angels in heaven do your will. But by nature... Our will is enslaved to sin. Because of the sin of Adam, his sin which is transferred to us and our own indwelling sin, we are unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God until he brings us from death to life. By nature, we cry out, my will be done. We live in a society where lawlessness reigns. Apart from the grace of God, my will is stubborn, defiant, and dishonoring to God. It is like in the days of the judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That's what it was like then, and that's the culture we live in today. And apart from the grace of God, that's where we once were and still would be. The foolishness of saying, my will be done, is seen in James 4. We read that today. My will be done. You know what? Today I'm going to go here. 
tomorrow I'll go there and I'll make a profit here and I'll spend it on me now and I'll build bigger barns. And I'll just say, soul, relax. Kick up your feet. Eat, drink, and be merry. The rich young fool. That's what James is talking about. The foolishness of my will be done. It presumes, doesn't it? That we will live as long as we want. That we can do whatever we want. When in fact, we don't even know what tomorrow will bring. James 4 says, look at our life. We're a mist. We're like the mist on the lake as the days are cooling off in the fall. And you get up and you see the sunrise. And it's beautiful. And you hear the birds. And by 10 o'clock, the mist is burned off. That's what our life is like compared to eternity. James says, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. Yes, it's wise to make plans. Yes, it's godly to have goals. But we are dependent on God. We can't even live unless the Lord gives us breath. If you're a good athlete, the Lord gave you a body to be a good athlete. And yes, you work at it. But it's because the Lord has given you that grace and that gift. If you can sing well, God gave you a voice to sing and you work at it and you get better at it, but you, sit, you thank God for that. If we don't pray, your will be done. If we pray, my will be done. We will be bitter and angry. We will be hard. And the pressure and the heat that comes on us in all of our lives will lead us to sin against God and destroy the relationships around us. And when we don't get what we want, we'll be grumpy. We're all struggling with indwelling sin. We all get grumpy, right? But the Catechism, Westminster 192, speaks of murmuring. Grumbling may seem like a little sin, loved ones, but it is massive. It's a pollutant in our life, in our heart, because our talk problem is a heart problem. Our talk reveals what's going on in here. We don't want to think that. We want to think my spouse is the problem. My job is the problem. My car is the problem. It broke down again. My dog is the problem. But grumbling reveals my heart, not the problem with the dog. Why do we complain? Because we want a life without obstacles. As one man says, we want kids that are self-parenting. And we want fully glorified people in our lives. We want a spouse who says we're wonderful, who agrees with us on everything, And we want a life free of suffering. Pride says, I love getting my way. My agenda is right. My needs first. I control the world. I'm king of my world. My will be done. But as Paulison says, why do we try to control our world and build our kingdom when God controls the world and God builds his kingdom? By nature, 
we are discontented. The catechism says, God, by your spirit, take this hard heart away, that by your grace I would be able and willing to do and submit to your will in all things. How? Only by God's spirit with humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, constancy, as the angels do in heaven. If we have a Christian heart, we don't begin by saying, the problem is with those people out there. We say, God, start here. My heart, your church, would you show us our disobedience? Would you bring us to repentance? Would you help us to submit to your will? Would you help us to know we have confidence in prayer in Jesus? Your will be done brings us to the gospel. In prayer, we have a relationship with our Father through Christ. Prayer is communing with the Lord, drawing near to God. As we pray, our desires begin to be conformed to God's desires. That's what God does in us by his Spirit. The mind of Christ fills us. We begin to see things as God sees them. We begin to want what he wants in prayer. Prayer is about faith in Jesus. Dependence on God. It's the opposite of self-dependence. So one thing we're doing is, God, change my motivation. Change my desire. I've told you there are some great resources on prayer. I've mentioned some of them. Another one is John Calvin, book three of the Institutes. It begins, and it is loaded with gospel content on prayer. He says, Father, may there not enter into my heart a desire and a wish of which I should be ashamed to make you a witness. May I learn to set my desires before your eyes and to pour out my heart. May my heart be fired with zealous desire to seek and love you. That's what this is getting at. It's paganism that says, God, do my will. Come in here, God, and, and like a genie, just kind of fix my problem like I want. It's dependence on God that says, right now, I have a problem with this person in my life. Right now, my marriage is struggling. Right now, my job situation seems intolerable. Right now, my friends seem to have left, and I've alienated them, and I've been a jerk. Right now, I'm struggling, oh God. Dependence on God says, I don't want to use God as a means to an end. It's not that I just want God to come and fix things. It's that I want God to be glorified. Yes, God, heal my dear neighbor who has cancer. That you might be glorified. See what flips it around? Yes, we pour out our desire. God, my marriage is struggling. God, my friendships have broken up. Help here, God, that you might be glorified. It's starting there. Your will be done. God, I pray one day my kids might live nearby me and that they would have kids and we'd have grandchildren. That's a good God-glorifying desire, but not my will, but yours be done. God, where I have 
motivations in prayer that are not honoring to you, kill those sins. James says that. If it's a selfish ambition, God doesn't hear that. We pray according to God's will. God, where my unbelief is hindering me, forgive my sin. As a husband, if I'm not living with my wife in an understanding way, 1 Peter, my prayers are hindered. As a wife, if I'm living in stubborn rebellion, forgive my sins. As kids, if I'm just always angry with this sibling, God, heal me, forgive me, grant me mercy, that I might receive your benefits with gratitude. Why do we pray this way? Well, God is sovereign. And in his sovereign mercy, he uses prayer to accomplish his purposes. We become God's instruments as he himself ordains his plan with the use of our prayers. Isn't that remarkable? God, build your church in number and maturity. God, drive out wolves and false teaching and schism and heresy. God, purify your bride. God, open up doors for the mystery of the gospel to be proclaimed, that your kingdom may come, that your will may be done. This is a prayer in the midst of affliction. Hard providences. It's a prayer as we live in a day and age right now in a culture where the foundations crumble and are destroyed like Dale reminded us in Psalm 11. The Lord of the Rings. Remember this quote? Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, said Gandalf. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And already, Frodo, our time is beginning to look black. This is a prayer in days like this. It's a prayer, God, help me to believe you're good amidst the afflictions I'm dealing with. Strengthen me to depend on you, to rest in your sovereign goodness as I go to sleep at night. Father, I'm beyond my strength here. I don't have wisdom. Grant it to me. Because as we pray with our Bibles open, we'll see that God's will for us is our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4. A young Christian girl says she falls in love and wants to marry someone who's not a Christian. She says to you, is this God's will for me? How do you respond? God's revealed will in his law says a Christian is not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. See how this applies to marriage? God defines marriage. God sanctifies marriage. And God gives us help to love each other and to love maybe this person in your life who's struggling with some of these things. Should I get married? Who should I marry? We open the Bible. God's will for us is there in the Bible in terms of these very God-given definitions of things like marriage. How about thankfulness? God, I'm struggling with grumbling. Your will for my life, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
is to be thankful in all circumstances. The will of God for our lives is the Ten Commandments. It's to love the Lord our God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. The will of God for us is patience. This week we were going for a walk-run, my wife and I. That means kind of walk, kind of run, kind of both. We got to one of those crosswalks. I've mentioned this before. You hit the button. What does it tell you to do? Wait. A few seconds later. Wait. Wait. It keeps saying it. And the more it says it, the less I want to wait. God's will for our lives is patience by his Holy Spirit. Your will be done means may I humbly submit to God's will and patiently wait on God's timing. This involves discernment. Say you have a big decision to make. God's will, Romans 12, is that by testing you may discern what that will is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What college should you attend? Should you get married? What job should you take? The will of God in these things is discerned by testing your experience, your ability, your capacity, the wisdom of others, open doors of opportunity. Romans 12 says, by the Spirit, discern. You have a big decision to make. Pray with your spouse about it. Pray that the motivations of the world would not enter into our decision, meaning that we wouldn't decide based on how the world tells us to decide, but that with our Bible open, we would grow in discernment. That's what happens, isn't it? As you take in God's word, by the Spirit, we discern. We see wisdom comes from God. God doesn't tell you in a dream to marry that person or this person, but he does tell you in his word what type of person he wants you to be first in Christ and what type of godly Christian you should seek out. Mentors help. Friends help. God's spirit guides. What about your calling? R.C. Sproul helps here. You can ask questions about the job you might be seeking. What can I do? What do I like to do? What would I like to be able to do? What should I do? Young people, as you're going through college and those who are in a job and thinking maybe you want a different job, those are questions to ask. Think of the abilities God gave you. Think of the opportunities that are there. What are you motivated to do? What do others around you see as the gifts God has given? This is where in the church, older, wiser, more mature Christians can help those who are younger. Many of you have been through this. You've been through job interviews and resumes and rejections and different jobs and different places. And there's so much wisdom you can offer the body of Christ as we live together as the family of God. And in all of this, loved ones, what are we seeking perhaps foundationally in this? Ultimately, praying your will be done is a prayer for contentment in Christ. Paul says in Philippians 4, I know how to abound, I know how to be brought low. 
Contentment is learned by the Spirit of God, living as the family of God, knowing that in Christ, the dimensions of what we have in Christ for all eternity will never be exhausted. You have everything you need in Christ. All of your salvation is in Christ. The day you die, it'll be Christ who's with you. He will be sufficient that day. He will be sufficient for you throughout all eternity. He is sufficient today. Let's seek in this year ahead as a church by the Spirit to grow together in Christ. We're not individuals. We're the family of God. We know where we're going. We're not like Alice, who's at the road and doesn't know what's next. We know where we're ultimately going. Let's pray for God's guidance as we grow as a church together in maturity and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Looking forward to that day when we will forever enjoy the Lord in the beauty of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sufficiency of Jesus. We look forward to the day when Christ returns, when we will, we will have new resurrection capacities, when we will be able to drink in all that Jesus is and has done for us, when we will know the utter contentment for which we were created. Father, forgive us for our idolatry and looking to broken cisterns to satisfy. Help us to know there is none but Christ. Help us to long for that day when we will feast in glory with the Lord Jesus forever and ever. And we pray, Lord, that together as a church, we might seek your name, your kingdom, and your will to be done in the life of each person here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.